welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Justin Clark. I'm Adam Cronin. And today we're discussing the future of free will. This topic was recommended by one of our listeners, James Goutreau. Thank you, James. And it's something that Matamor and I think about all the time. So maybe just to start, Matamor, perhaps explain Sam Harris's argument for why free will is an illusion, and then we'll get into our own thoughts on free will. Yeah, and when James recommended this topic, he also brought up Sam Harris's book on free will. And it's, it's a pretty compelling book. He makes the case that you didn't pick your parents, you didn't pick your genes, you didn't pick what neighborhood you were raised in, you didn't pick what ideas were drilled into you in school, you didn't even pick your desires that you have or the yeah. t your capacity to fulfill those desires. So he argues that there is no free will. Free will is just an illusion. And if you look at the area in our life where we actually have control, uh, it essentially <laughs> approaches zero. So I, I have my own sort of thoughts on this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, first, Justin. Yeah, so... My thoughts on uh, free will are a little bit different than Sam Harris's. I think his is sort of a, a reductionist view, but in my mind, it's it's not as um, it's not necessarily in line with the current laws of physics. I think his is more in line with the Newto uh, mm -hmm. Newtonian determinism, where basically, if you know the state of the universe at any given time, then you can also predict the state of the universe at any point in the future. And yeah. I think that's sort of what Sam Harris argues is like, if we have a big enough computer, then we'll know exactly what people are thinking in the future. Right. Because we'll know the state of the universe, which includes, you know, the atoms in our brain and the electrical signals and all of that stuff. So I think that type of thinking is maybe a little bit flawed because you know there is uncertainty the fundamental building blocks of the universe are or they behave probabilistically by nature and that's you know we kind of learn this with quantum mechanics now i don't know how much quantum effects actually you know change our thought patterns i don't know if there's you know a some sort of probability distribution for every atom in our brain that is collapsing at all different times maybe there's something that has to do with the many worlds theory here you know if that mm -hmm. is true maybe there is all of these different worlds so like we're just experiencing some path down you know all these different probability uh, distributions i'm not really sure right. how like how much it affects our thoughts in our pat like the, our thought patterns but my guess is it affects us to some extent and there is some sort of uncertainty just by the very nature of the building blocks of the universe so those are sort of my initial thoughts is that there i think there's probably a bit of mix between free will and determinism so there is some free will Meaning we're free to the extent that our brain structure lets us be free. So if you think of a probability distribution, maybe some people have a much larger 
probability distribution of their potential thought patterns. Maybe some people are doomed by their bio biology and their probability distribution of their thought patterns and actions is much narrower and much more predictable mm -hmm. just by the very nature of their environment and everything else that led them to who they are today. So my thought is maybe babies are like the most free, right? So right. babies, babies have the most free will. And as we get older and older, our thought patterns become more and more ingrained. Our, our brain structure is so you think, less. You think baby uh, Yoda has more free will than adult Yoda? Probably. I think, I don't I know think about adult... that <laughs> because adult well, Yoda is still an enlightened being, but he also has the benefits of wisdom from growing up. Yeah, that's you're right. You know, that's probably true. And he has more agency, has, can experience more things, and like control the force. Really yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that everybody gets they have less free will as they get older, but maybe, maybe there's like a change through time, just yeah. by the nature of like how our brains work. Well, this this is interesting, and it's a related point to what Sam Harris brings up as one of his examples, which is the son of Saddam Hussein. Usay Hussein, and mm -hmm. he brings this up as a quintessential example that we would typically think of as someone who's a morally culpable person who really deserves to just be locked up and you know throw away the key. I mean, this guy helped mm -hmm. commit acts of terror. He murdered people. He did horrible things. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, he was a four-year-old, and yeah. if we could see that four-year-old. We would send child services, we'd get him into a better home, we'd give him, you know, all of the ideals of democracy taught to him in school, and we'd help him. Mm -hmm. So at what point does he go from being a four-year-old who's just a victim of his circumstances to someone who's essentially we, we consider like an evil villain that needs to be not only reprimanded and rehabilitated, but punished for his actions as a murderous 50 year old you know is it when he turns 18 that we consider this person morally culpable so that i thought that was an interesting uh, question yeah. to frame yeah i'm i'm not sure about this one it's a hard question because as humans we're very set on getting retribution and like getting revenge and like making sure people are punished for the things they did wrong but at the same time what you know what led him to where he is today i mean part of that is just being exposed to you know his dad was a pretty shitty person as well right and there's there's a lot of yeah i mean he grew that... up where your dad is saddam hussein yeah. so you also not only do you have the influence of having a father like that environmentally you also have the biological influence of you actually sharing the same a lot of the same genes with your dad mm -hmm. And then you're you have Islamic fundamentalism drilled into you. You're in a war and torn country. Maybe mm -hmm. all the powerful people around you are members of a group, a terror group. So you can see right. how someone like if that's their world, mm -hmm. it's hard to say that anyone wouldn't go down that same path if they found themselves in the same circumstance. Just like the classic, you know, if you grew up in. Germany in the 1930s or 40s, can you really say that you would go against the Nazi party and put yourself and your family at risk? 
or would you just kind of like be like hey i don't want to make any waves like yeah i don't agree with this philosophy but i'm not going to say anything outright and put myself at, at, in harm's way um, yeah or your family yeah so that's that seems to be kind of what he's getting at but mm-hmm. i mean i think the way that tim urban thinks about free will is is really helpful here because you know he put together this series called the story of us and he thinks of it as you have a, everyone has a primitive self and you have a higher self mm-hmm. So your primitive self is essentially your like monkey reptilian brain that is just concerned about your biological needs. Like this is what Dawkins refers to in his book, The Selfish Gene. Like it Mm -hmm. basically is just whatever is needed for survival and reproduction and feeling safe within a large group and all of those, you know, very base Mm -hmm. level needs. That's your primitive self. And then Mm -hmm. your higher self is what what seeks truth you know, whether or not it's pleasant for your biological needs, like what, like basically basically seeking those higher level ideals, values Mm -hmm. and truth and freedom and those sorts of things. And it's interesting when you bring up like, you know, four-year-old Usai Hussein as opposed to 50-year-old, because everyone is sort of like a little mini yogi when they're like a little baby. Like you're just like tripping on mushrooms, like, whoa, look at the world. And you're you're like this like enlightened being because you don't know anything. But then when puberty hits you, all of a sudden your primitive self just goes into high gear. Mm -hmm. And that's when you you perhaps have the most primitive self taken over. But depending on your influences, like if you're in a society that really drills into you, hey, I actually need to abide by these values, then mm-hmm. you can emerge into regaining your higher self. But if you're not in that sort of environment that emphasizes doing the right thing, you could continue down that path of having a primitive self. Yeah, I think those are all uh, really interesting points. And and really what it seems like that boils down to, whether it's um, you know genetic influences, environmental influences, which includes information you're exposed to, people you're exposed to, and, you know, everything like that. Really what that boils down to is what the brain structure is of a person. Is that, does that brain structure allow for different thoughts? Like, it, is a person predictable in their way of acting and behaving? And maybe that's one, you know, proxy for measuring free will. Like, how predictable are you when it comes to certain situations would you behave um differently if you know i don't know like i don't know i don't know if i agree with this because it seems like if you're very consistent with your behavior then by your definition you would have a less free will than someone who does all of these disparate things so it's hard to predict their behavior like if one day i'm really nice to you and the next day i call you like a lying son of a bitch, like like that would, like by your definition, yeah. I would have more free will, but it it really is hard to sort of pin down like what we really mean by free will. Yeah. And there is a lot of truth in what Sam Harris says in his arguments. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, it's true that when you think of ideas, it's not like you decide that you want to think about something. The thoughts just arise. And anyone who's Mm -hmm. spent time meditating has noticed this, where if you're trying to, you know, just focus on your inner self and your own thoughts, you realize that 
These just are appearances in consciousness that come to you. So that's a lot of the truth in what Sam Harris is saying. But I think where he misses the mark is that he considers that void from which thoughts and ideas and desires arise to be separate from what he considers yourself. But what someone like Alan Watts would say is that, no, you are the undifferentiated void. You are that place from where subconscious mm -hmm. thoughts, ideas, and desires arise. Yeah. But wouldn't you say that the subconscious thoughts and behaviors that kind of percolate up into consciousness, like that still has to do with the brain structure. And so how would you define free will then? If, if somebody has more or less free will, like what would you consider a measure of more or less free will? Is that something we well, can even measure? I, or? I mean, I guess the way I think about it is everyone has their sort of core essence. Mm-hmm like the type of person you are or the type of soul you have, whatever language you want to use. Mm -hmm. But, and you don't necessarily decide what that is, but I just view it as an emergent phenomenon where you sort of are realizing what type of person you are as you take steps to fulfill that realization. And I sort of view it as your free will is sort of the degree to which you can hone in on that essence. And a lot of people are sort of blocked by their, they have all these blockages, so they're, they're not able to realize the type of person that they want to be because they're sort of letting themselves be just influenced by whatever's you know, easiest, mm -hmm. uh, whatever the, the pressures are environmentally and, and whatever mm -hmm. else. But if you're able to really have a, a powerful frequency vibration that is in the direction of whatever your true self is, like I would say that person has more free will than someone who maybe they sort of know what their essence is, but they don't actually take steps to realize it because for whatever reason, they're fearful or they're hesitant or their pressures huh. preventing them from doing that. Okay. So if you are more resistant to outside pressures, then maybe you are more free, like you're more free from other influences in order to be able to pursue you know, your essence, as you yeah. put it. But I really like... think that it's hard to think of it as, like, the concept of free will, I think, is just a really, perhaps even a, the, the wrong way of framing it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Alan Watts, for instance, talks about the organism hyphen environment, where, you know, so most of the time mm -hmm. we just think of, oh, there's different organisms that are sort of doing their thing. You know, I'm moving around in my house, making coffee, having phone calls, whatever. And then all the empty space is just meaningless. It's just empty space. But you cannot describe an organism without also describing its environment. There's a relationship between the two. And in some sense, it's just one process. And if you, you know, zoom back and you just look at everything that's going on on Earth, you could view it as one organism that's all sort of working in concert, mm -hmm. you know, in synchronous with, with one another. So to think of it as, oh, does this specific organism have free will? Like, well, it does and it doesn't. It does have yeah. free will if you view it from the perspective of that organism. But it doesn't have free will if you view it from the macro perspective of, yeah, it's just one of the actors within this larger you know, situation. And that's why I yeah. really think that rather than framing it as like a dichotomy, do you or don't you have free will? I just view it as like the emergence of the life force. Like 
we are mm-hmm. that life force we are the undifferentiated void and hmm. we're like sort of along for the ride while we're actually driving the ride at the same time like we are the big bang expanding out into the cosmos right. and some people are a little more like hesitant and so their vibration is not as strong and therefore it doesn't impact the rest of the macro structure as much as some other like someone like Elon Musk or Joe Rogan or, or, or whatever mm-hmm. who like has a very big microphone and mm-hmm. a very big capacity to move atoms around yeah interesting but the nature of whether or not they have free will I think is the same where it's just sort of emergent Hmm. So is is your thought? Okay, let me back up. So one of the things we talk about a lot in our utopias of the future is that we want to be able to maximize freedom. Mm -hmm. Is that different from free will? So like, do you think that maximizing freedom in the in these utopian scenarios is really maximizing an individual's ability to pursue their essence like is that sort yeah, of yeah i would, I would make the distinction between volition or agency mm-hmm. and like the true essence of free will so for instance i would say like you could be some powerful ceo of a tech company and you know with the push of a of a keystroke or just sending one email you could literally change the lives of millions. But if you're someone who just sort of found yourself in that role because the, you know, all, everyone was sort of pressuring you that, you know, this is, oh, you make the most money in this job and whatever. And it's not truly what you want. Like you always wanted to be a jazz musician, but now you're this like tech CEO. Yeah. Like I would say, yeah, you have much more volition and agency than the average person because you're just your sheer ability to impact the world is far greater than you know some Amazon factory worker who just follows orders. Mm-hmm. But your free will, I would say, isn't necessarily greater because you're not doing what you know in your heart and your inner soul is, is what you want to be doing. So I would make a distinction between your ability to just impact bits which I would consider your just your agency capacity or your volition capacity versus your free will, which is like how how accurately are you resonating with the essence that you know in your you know truest heart of hearts? Hmm. That's interesting. I think we have like slightly different perspectives on this because I okay. still view free will as sort of the the broadness of impact almost like the volition that you were just describing like you have more ability to do different things like you're you're neurochemically more free and there i'm sure there are degrees of free will that are good and bad like if you're free will you have very large range of potential thoughts but all of those are immoral thoughts those are still you know that's still more free will than someone who is extremely moral in one very narrow sense. So maybe I'm thinking of free will as not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just the broadness of potential, essentially, at any yeah. given point. Yeah, um, so your free will is like my volition or agency or whatever. Yeah, I, I suppose yeah. I suppose so. Um it's really interesting. It's such a ephemeral topic, like it's really hard to really 
pinpoint what even the definition is because I think a lot of people yeah. think of free will a little bit differently. Um, so what are some, one of the articles you sent me recently is, uh, it was an article that said that Sam Harris's argument for free will has been debunked. I'm curious mm -hmm. if you could maybe talk about that because there's yeah. there's so much argument in the space about whether whether or not we have free will. Right, totally. So Sam Harris cites this famous study in his book which purportedly proves we have no free will. And basically what the study was is they would have people just tapping their fingers at random intervals like either finger on their left hand or a finger on their right hand and then they would simultaneously measure the brain impulses either through EEG or fMRI and what they found is that you can actually predict what someone's behavior is going to be based on activity in the brain before the person themselves is conscious that they're going to make that decision so Sam Harris and others have cited this as see there is no free will the action is already set in motion before you yourself decided to do it. So you're basically just realizing what the desires are as the, as they become consciously, you know, uh, present mm -hmm. to you. But that that desire was already set in motion by the undifferentiated void or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this has recently been debunked. I think like less than a year ago because the scientists themselves actually spoke out about what they, you know, how they created this model and what their learnings really were. And it turns out that what they were really measuring were what are now called action potentials. So if I'm thinking that I'm about to move my finger, my neurons fire in a way so that if I do decide to do it, it's ready. Like you could think mm -hmm. of, you know, Serena Williams, like throwing up the tennis ball about to do a serve but then, you know, maybe it's a little bit off. So at the last second, she decides to just catch the ball and then, you know, reset mm -hmm. and, and do another serve. Yeah. That is basically, she had the action potential ready and that's what you could measure via fMRI. But then mm -hmm. she decided not to do it. So it's not that it truly proves we have no free will. It just proves that, yes, there are measurable action potentials for any potential action that you can do. So to me, this is a knock against Sam Harris's argument. I mean, he brings this up not only once, but several times in his book. And he even mm -hmm. says things like, well, if I were able to, you know, bring out a transcript of every single thing that you're about to say right now, wouldn't that prove there's no free will? And it kind of would, but the key is we can't do that. And I think but due to quantum uncertainty... I don't think we'll ever be able to do that because you would to be able to predict that with enough mm. certainty, you would need a model of, of the whole cosmos um, or, or the whole universe mm -hmm. or something approaching that to, to truly know. Like I, I was talking to Kip about this, actually, mm. and he was saying that he thinks it's sort of similar to earthquakes. Like we cannot predict when an earthquake is going to occur. There's just too many variables and too much uncertainty, but we can get really good at sensing the very first movements when the earthquake is set in motion. So I think we'll get better and better at sensing the very first movements in the mm -hmm. process of making a decision or performing an action. 
but we're never going to be able to know for certain, okay, you know, 10 minutes from now, Justin's going to, you know, get up and shake his right leg because there's just too many, like we would have to model like the whole, at least like our whole solar system to be able to (laughs) even get close to predicting something like that. Yeah. And have a almost, I honestly think you would need a computer the size of earth to be, or, you know, some sort of quantum computer, but to be able to accurately model all of the different, you know, particles involved in the system, it's ridiculous. And I think those are, it's really interesting because there are chaotic, um, chaotic events or chaotic systems everywhere. So weather is another chaotic system where, Mm -hmm. where just a minor tweak in the initial inputs dramatically changes the outputs. Um, and we just don't have the capacity to think about these things and we don't have the capacity to predict chaotic systems and maybe, maybe our brain is a chaotic system, even if, and I think it is a chaotic system, even if you don't, um, take into account quantum physics, maybe, you know, just like a, a billiards ball, like really, there's not really that much quantum stuff going on in a billiards ball. You can pretty much use Newtonian mechanics and make good predictions about how that's going to move. And maybe that's the case, but the fact that there are so many neurons and so many connections, that means that like we'll need a ridiculous computer before we can accurately simulate, um, you know, the brain. So yeah, I'm with you there. I, I don't know if we'll be there in the next several hundred years, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be able to predict, um, what people are actually going to think and essentially, you know, model out a brain or, or even the weather, right. That's, that's something that we also struggle with. Um, it might even be a simpler system than the brain. I don't think yeah. we really know. Maybe some people know, I don't know. Yeah. And what's your feeling on whether animals have free will or not. So Sam Harris brings up this example of, for instance, like, you know, uh, an elephant that was at a circus and then it got loose and it trampled people. And then the people got so angry that they ended up lynching the elephant for retribution because the elephant did something morally wrong. It seems like from that example that it's kind of ridiculous to think of an elephant as some something that has free will but yeah from my perspective it does have some free will in the same sense that my dog has some free will to not pee on the carpet because it knows from its limited higher self that it's been taught that that's a bad thing to do but from mm-hmm. its primitive self it just has to pee right now and it's too lazy it doesn't want to expend energy walking outside <laughs> So I think in the same sense, there is free will in something like an elephant or a dog or, you know, maybe when you get to like insects and that there may not be any higher self at all. But I think with animals that are farther along the what Tim Urban calls the emergence tower, which you could start with like a single celled organism or like below that, even like rocks or whatever. And then Mm -hmm. it goes all the way up to you know, dolphins and then like, you know, monkeys and humans and then groups of humans and then all of humanity and then the all of Earth's biome 
and then mm-hmm. the whole cosmos and that's like the emergence tower that he refers yeah. to yeah so i would i would agree um with all of that i think that there are levels of free will and sort of like i was saying earlier in my personal thoughts on free will and my personal definition of free will i'm thinking of it as brain structure now if your brain structure can be rewired or if that brain structure has the capacity to do things a little differently so if you come to the same situation twice if an elephant uh, an elephant you know runs across pretty uh, the exact same situation are they only going to behave in one way maybe with minor tweaks in the inputs but what about separate from the brain structure what if the brain structure stays the same but you change the environment so rather than the environment being a cage for the elephant the environment is the whole african savanna right so in that case if the brain structure is the exact same which you would basically have to take the same elephant and just transplant them them that elephant into a cage or just keep the Mm -hmm. elephant in the savanna either way the neurons and the brain that you know the the neuronal pathways and um firing of the neurons is going to be different because the inputs are different so it's even though it's still the same brain structure it'll maybe um so would the would the elephant in the cage have less free will than the elephant on the savannah I mean, if you, so here's, here's it seems like by my definition, if, he, the elephant wouldn't, but by side. your definition. Yeah. Cause if would. actions, if actions themselves are tied into the Savannah, if you project out two weeks, for example, there is a broader range of things, a broader range of actions and right. thoughts that could occur if that same elephant was on the savanna versus in the cage and i would view that as being free and maybe maybe free will isn't something that you can just look at in a snapshot maybe free will is something where you really do need to sort of project out or it needs to be over some time period and maybe you know it's just well i I mean i just view it as you have the free will. So an elephant can still will itself to be free, even if it's in a cage. But I would say its freedom is mm-hmm. seriously constrained in the cage. So to me, the distinction is, you know, what is, what is someone's capacity to will, even if they're not able to actually achieve that objective? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's definitely an argument that makes sense um yeah well let's talk about some of the other edge cases that sam brings up for instance he brings up charles whitman the shooter who killed his wife his family and then went to a clock tower and shot like dozens of people and he realized that something might be wrong in his brain so he actually wrote a suicide note saying you know please do an autopsy of my brain and see if anything's going on in there. And they did, and they found a large tumor that was pushing up against his amygdala, which is associated with you know fear and, and violence in the brain. And so my question to you is, do you think he has, someone like Charles Whitman, has the same degree of free will as someone who we would consider sane and healthy or not? 
I would say he did not have as much free will because his brain structure was basically being determined. His his pathways were being determined essentially by this invader, this brain tumor that was kind of constraining his thought patterns. So in that sense, I think that he was, you know, less, he was less free or his, his free will was um, much lower than what I would think of in a sane right. person. And, and what Sam would say as a follow-up, not that I necessarily agree with this position, but he would say then, well, isn't everyone beholden to their particular brain structure, even if it's considered mm-hmm. a healthy, normal brain structure? So isn't mm-hmm. everyone's will totally predetermined by what their brain structure happens to be? See, I don't think so. I think that brain structure, so our brains are plastic. We can change our brain structures and we can we can learn new things. We can learn new behaviors. And I think when we do these things or we can meditate, we can take psychedelics, all of these things will change our thought patterns. Some of them will be more lasting than others. Some can fundamentally change the structure and the connections in our brain. And I think the ability to do that is essentially free will. The ability to change the thought patterns and the the path that neurons are firing essentially in your brain yeah. is free will. So, you know, some people have way more free will than others, I think. And I think we all are determined to some extent because we we do have a constraint which is just our um, neurobiology, you know, our brain structure. But beyond that, yeah. I mean... I, I think I you're think... really on to something where you... Because what happens moment to moment, how reality continues to emerge as time goes on, that's mm-hmm. really the core of the question of if someone is choosing or having any sort of choice in the matter of how reality occurs, like choose your own adventure mm-hmm. sort of a situation or if they're yeah. just it's totally determined and you're just a puppet. And I, I very much agree with Alan Watts' take on this, where it's neither true that you're a puppet who's just beholden to your strings, mm-hmm. and you're also, it's also not true that you're a god who creates your entire reality. Like, obviously, yeah. it's somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think part of why Sam is able to make such a compelling argument is that he always uses... A specific slice in time like you were saying as his mm-hmm. example like oh so let's say like for instance um, you know think of a famous person so think of one Just, okay do you want me to say, say it, it. Uh, Dolly Parton Dolly Parton <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so were you free to think of that or were you free to think of anyone else like you grew up in the south I would yeah. never think of that yeah. So I don't know just why from the simple that. fact yeah. that you're from the South. Probably it makes had... me more likely. Yeah, it exactly. makes me more likely to think about that. And or the fact that I just saw her in a, a TV show or she was referenced in a TV show right. recently. And you didn't decide what the schedule of the TV commercials or TV schedule was. And uh-huh. You probably didn't decide, you know, whether... I don't know if you watch TV with someone else at that time or what channel you chose. Like there are so many situations, so many parts of that situation that you didn't choose. So to say Mm -hmm. that you freely decided to think of Dolly Parton 
is inaccurate because that thought just merely arose in your mind based on the prior experiences and the prior knowledge that you've had. So when you think of it in that slice of time, it's really compelling to hear Sam's argument because it's like, well, yeah, it just sort of happened. I didn't have any say in the matter. Mm-hmm. But I think the the key where it's not doesn't really fully map onto reality is that this is all emerging. So, like it reminds me of a Rumi quote where he mm-hmm. says, "You are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop." And it's like you could view yourself as just a mere drop in the ocean, which is sort of what that Sam Harris argument is. Or you mm-hmm. could view yourself as the entire ocean in a drop, where it's like, no, I am that void from which the thought of Dolly Parton arises. And even though I'm mm-hmm. not consciously aware of how the void works or you know, where these things come from, I, I still identify with that void. And therefore, it was me, even if it's the subconscious me that grows my hair and grows my fingernails and beats my heart. Like Mm -hmm. it's still me that is sort of coming up with this, but at the same time, it's not me. And this is the coincidence of opposites that Alan Watts talks about. It's like anytime you Mm -hmm. try to describe reality by cutting reality with words and saying, this is true, but that other word isn't true. Like there is no free will or there is free will. Anytime you make Mm -hmm. a statement like that, it's not going to be true because you're necessarily cutting reality into pieces and both pieces, all pieces in summation are always going to be the whole truth. Right. Yeah. And, and just by the nature of our being is we are moving through time, right? You can't really look at things in a snapshot. You need to know the direction of those things. And time is an illusion too. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like causality is an illusion too. I mean, it's, it's, a very useful way to think about things. Mm -hmm. But I think emergence is a better way to think about things. Like things emerge together in the same way that like a wave will splash in one direction because there's momentum in that direction, but some of the drops Mm -hmm. will go in a different direction. Mm -hmm. But you can't say that like each preceding drop caused the next part of the wave. That's not like an accurate way of thinking about it. It, The wave just emerges. Yeah, but it it does, like, where a state is previously sort of determines where it is in the future. So, like, there is is still some, yeah, there is still some time-bound thing. And maybe the way we experience time, to some extent, is an illusion. Um, And I need to look more into that because I'm actually not overly familiar with the argument about time being an illusion. Um, But... Yeah, I think that, you know, if you just look at a snapshot of things, then you're missing the true picture. You're missing what's happening and what's going to happen. And and sure, there's always, this is maybe counter to the fact that everyone talks about living in the present. I don't even know how that ties into all of this. But um, I I think when it comes to free will, you really do need to look at what the direction of your thought patterns are, not just the snapshot of what's happening. And if yeah, they're I, in the future, there is a greater variance or a greater variation of potential thoughts, then in my mind, that's sort of what it is. And 
Right. Who knows? I don't know if that's a useful way to think about it. I don't, and maybe we should talk about that. Like, how useful is it to think that everything is determined? Like, if you don't believe in free will, is that useful? Is that yeah. bad? Like, is it better to just believe that there is free will, even if there's not? Right. So that's a great question. I think there are some benefits to viewing free will as an illusion, like Sam Harris does. The biggest mm -hmm. benefit from my perspective is that you aren't as hard on yourself psychologically. You don't mm. beat yourself up as much for saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing because you can basically just take refuge in the fact that, well, that's that's the best thing I thought of. That's the best thing I could do at the time with the mm. information I had, the inputs I had, the prior experience I've had. And mm -hmm. it's useful to think that, okay, if I ever encounter a similar situation in the future, I'm going to change my behavior. Yeah. But or it's... do you think it makes people maybe it, they use it as a scapegoat? Like I had no other choice. It was just fate. It's almost like scientific yeah. religion where it's like everything's determined. And, exactly. Know. Well, yeah, this is what, so I was, I was also talking to Kip about this and he was saying that someone he knows, I won't say who it is, but someone he knows very much takes the path of, well, you know, where God's going to take me whenever he's going to take me and I'm just going to live my life to the fullest and enjoy it because who knows, you know, I could get hit by a car tomorrow. So this is the kind of guy who, you know, always gets mm -hmm. like spinach and artichoke dip and, and like multiple <laughs> beers a night and just lives an unhealthy yeah. life. Like, uh -huh. but does it from the perspective of, yeah, who knows? Like it's up, it's in God's hands now. And it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you, if you take that deterministic viewpoint, then, you know, right. obviously you're not going to be healthy. If you don't willingly decide to eat a salad instead of a, mm -hmm. you know, spinach of an artichoke dip, dip as an appetizer, mm -hmm. and you do that, you know, 10,000 times over, you're, you're shortening your life in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And... So yeah, you don't, I mean, there's definitely a sweet spot, right? You don't want to think of yourself as totally a puppet of God's because then you can allow your primitive self to take over and it can become an excuse for your primitive self to get what it wants. Uh, but you also right. don't want to think of yourself as a God that controls everything because then you'll just destroy yourself psychologically when anything goes wrong and you want to, this is like someone who's, OCD and anxious and they think about every little thing and if anything goes mm -hmm. wrong it's like the end of the world to them so you definitely want that middle path just like with anything mm -hmm. yeah and and maybe that's um, I don't know if there's any other thoughts you um, have but maybe we get into the scenarios now sure so Matamor what do you think about the worst case Worst case scenario. My worst case scenario is, like many of our worst cases, minimal freedom for people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if free will, in the sense that I think of it, can be changed with technology or with society. It may be an inherent part of what it means to be human for as long as we are human. And for what it means to be an earthling, for that matter, if you think of the emergence tower, other animals I would also consider as having free will, but just to a lesser degree because their higher self isn't as developed as 
human beings' higher self. So I don't know if free will can change, but I do think freedom can change in a fundamental way, which will affect our ability to realize our, our, mm-hmm. what we want from our free will. And mm-hmm. it seems to me like part of the worst thing that can happen is we continue to view people's actions and behaviors as being separate from their environmental influences and their biological influences. And so therefore we focus more on punishment and retribution rather than redemption Mm -hmm. and rehabilitation. So you're become a better member of society. Like a couple things, examples that I think are useful. So one is there's this Yakuza boss who was this just badass like Japanese mobster who mm-hmm. did a lot of horrible things in his life. But at a certain point, he was a 90-year-old man playing chess in like, uh, you know, New York City, like some park, mm-hmm. and he had his shirt off. And someone, an off-duty cop, recognized his tattoos as being this elusive Yakuza boss that they had never been able to uh, capture. So they yeah. put this guy in jail for his crimes and he hadn't committed crimes in like 40 years at that point like all the stuff he did that was bad was in his youth essentially and this Mm -hmm. guy is a totally like not a threat to society at all so the question is should that guy be imprisoned if you're thinking about it from a punishment perspective yeah he should be this guy did bad things he's got to answer for it but if you're thinking about it from like a society safety perspective it doesn't really change anything if he's in jail or not, if he's truly uh, changed his ways. Then there's, mm. there's also the perspective of, well, maybe this will help dissuade other people from becoming Yakuza's because we don't want people to think that, yeah, if you make it to your 90s, then we're just not going to go after you anymore. So there's also that just functional, how useful is it to punish people as a way of dissuading future people making the same sort of mistakes. Um, But another example that's maybe even more on the nose is, I think it was the founder of the Bloods or the Crips. I can't remember which one, but Mm -hmm. this guy also had done horrible things in his youth, but then he had a real change of heart in jail. And he actually ended up creating children's books that were to help kids in the hood get out of that way of life and realize that they should become educated and become better members of society. Mm -hmm. So this guy, not only had he changed his ways and wasn't doing bad things, he was actively doing good things for society. And yet he was on death row and he was put to death. Hmm. So that's a manifestation of the, the punitive view of free will and, you know, not really considering the fact that this guy didn't decide where he grew up or who his friends, you know, who the kids were that were available to be his friends in his little neighborhood and what their influences were and, and how much, so, you know, mm-hmm. s- social support were, were given to that community by the government. Like, there's so many factors that aren't taken into account that I guess in my worst case scenario, it's like we continue with that punitive way of thinking and it prevents us from really helping people gain redemption and become better members of society on mm-hmm. the one hand. And then the other, the other final thing I'll say about the worst case is that it would be pretty awful if the majority of people just simply have far less ability to 
realize their desires due to automation and technology. Like, for instance, you can imagine if self-driving cars become totally um, omnipresent everywhere, then mm -hmm. your free will to drive where you want or your volition or agency to be able to drive where you want essentially approaches zero. Like, you can still choose where you want to go. Like, you type in the address, but you don't, you don't even... Maybe you're not even allowed to drive in manual mode, right? Mm. And then if you also, let's say, more and more, I think people are going to work for companies that are managed in an algorithmic way, sort of like Amazon's you know, manufacturing plants, mm. where you have a set schedule and your behavior is monitored. And if you deviate from the path at all, that's the greatest productivity path it'll be noticed and you'll be dinged. And so essentially you lose all volition and you're just a cog in the machine. And I, I fear that that is going to be more and more prevalent for most positions. Obviously there will be some, like if you're Jeff Bezos, you essentially are approaching a God. Like you can, your ability to change the world is greater than any king or sultan mm -hmm. throughout all of human history. But yeah. I worry that for the majority of people, that freedom is going to approach zero. And at the same time, we're not going to have compassion for people's specific situations and influences growing up. And we'll still focus more on punishment rather than yeah. understanding. Yeah. A lot of good stuff there. I think the, the retribution thing is a real issue and there needs to be a path to redemption for these people. And it is sort of a gray area. Like when, at what point do we transition from like, we can't just let people roam free. Like there needs to be some way to know what a person is likely to do in the future. Right. We need to know if they are moral, like if their decisions will lead to a better outcome for society going forward. Cause I feel like a lot of people get into that sunk cost fallacy. Like they did this. Mm -hmm. So they need to like, pay for this and maybe that's not sunk cost but it's related mm -hmm. where like the past doesn't even matter anymore we need to figure out how what is the best way to proceed can this person redeem themselves by helping you know young kids in the hood not get into the gang scene or young japanese people not get into you know the yakuza you know mm -hmm. there's i think there's a lot of ways that that 90 year old man could have helped in that case the same way that the guy in jail that was the leader of the bloods or crips that you mentioned mm -hmm. so anyways i think those are all good points the worst case that i was mostly focused on was how technology is shaping our behavior and how it's and we talked about this in the future of advertising i believe where mm. distraction too i think and and distraction but but the point that I was thinking is companies need people to be in boxes and to have predictable behaviors because if they do, then they're easily marketed to and that is ad revenue. And I mm -hmm. think the way that incentives are um, in companies today is they're essentially shaping people's behavior or for app um, like games or anything really where there's some sort of interaction like YouTube, it's really shaping your behavior and it's altering your brain structure when you are rewarded for, you know, 
interacting in an aggressive way on YouTube or Facebook or posting really inflammatory articles, then um, you're going to keep doing that. And if companies are rewarded for that and people make money from posting these clickbait articles, then I, I think it's just shaping people's brain structures actually because if people are trained to do certain things and behave in a certain way it's actually reducing the um you know the free will of these people just in my definition of free will which is mm -hmm. you know less freedom of thought essentially like the the way that you think is completely predictable and i think in the worst case this is taken to the extreme so you know, the worst case is actually very <laughs> close to what I think China is at right now, where they're I was thinking the same they're thing. altering they're altering people's behaviors re -education on a camps. mass scale. Yeah, <laughs> re-education and all of these things that they're doing and like making people afraid to behave in a certain way and it it's just training people to be less and less um or to have less and less freedom in their thoughts. Like they have to behave in a very specific way and i think that's pretty much the worst case if that spreads that's the worst case yeah if it spreads to everywhere well, else in the world are you familiar with the overton window with that concept uh i've heard the concept but i don't remember what it is so the the overton window is basically the set of acceptable opinions and mm. so for instance is gay marriage okay is it not okay like that has shifted over time where in the 1950s, mm -hmm. it was very extreme to think that gay marriage was okay. Now it's more extreme to think that gay marriage isn't okay. Or like another example okay. is, is smoking harmful? Like it used to be extreme to think that smoking was harmful. Now it's extreme mm -hmm. to think that it's safe. So yeah. the Overton window changes with public opinion. But what's really nefarious is when the the Overton window of what people of, are allowed to say is fundamentally different from what they actually believe. And that's what you get in a situation like China or especially Hong Kong, where mm -hmm. people may have these beliefs that, oh, I value democracy, I value free speech, I want to be able to read whatever book I want to read. But mm -hmm. you can't say that. You can't post that on, on WeChat and, and not expect any sort of repercussions right. so essentially you're limiting the speech that people are able to do and you're you have a, a warped like speech bubble compared to the overton window because the overton window is like way over here of what's acceptable but what people's beliefs are or maybe are more in the middle mm -hmm. and that's like a truly worst case scenario where you can't even say or think what you believe because it's there's just there's not accepted right yeah, and I, I seriously think that that is related to free will. Like when, when all of these, and eventually maybe that means that people start to actually think these ways. They start to, you know, um, think in line with what they're being told they need to believe. And that, right. I think, you know, that's, that's a really, <laughs> really worst case scenario. Um, so anyways, let's uh, get a little more positive. What do you think about the, the best case? Best case scenario. My best case scenario is that the Overton window matches people's actual beliefs mm. and how we think, so how we come up with ideas, is 
based on the higher self as opposed to the primitive self. So I really think this is one of the most important distinctions where mm -hmm. it's so obvious to see anyone who's behaving like their primitive self. You know, even we posted on Instagram about certain gurus that even though they may be enlightened in the sense that they know the, the nature of the self and the nature of reality and they're in tune with, with the present moment, even these people can behave horribly where they sexually assault their followers and they get mm -hmm. drunk with power and money. But it's always very obvious when you see someone who's overtaken by their primitive self because it's basically just they're doing whatever their biological primitive needs are. Like it's sex, it's money, it's power. It's not caring mm -hmm. about the truth, but just caring about what's good for you. And, yep. you know, even someone like Trump, like it's so clear that this guy is just driven by his primitive self. But because that primitive self is so strong and it resonates with other people's primitive selves and they can sort of band together as this like this like colossus so that they have safety in numbers. And the truth mm -hmm. is really not that important. It's just whatever the tribe, whatever is good for the tribe, because you're a part of that right. tribe and that's what gives you safety and refuge. Mm -hmm. Like if we can move away from that and move towards a society that's governed by the higher self, where it's not as important what's good for you personally, it's more important what's true. And pursuing truth and beauty in their, the purest sense, regardless mm -hmm. of what's good for your personal biological needs, the more we can get towards that, I would yeah. say the better. And just uh, also as far as some of the worst case scenario points, we focus more on rehabilitation and redemption rather than punishment. So if someone's yeah. no longer a threat to society, we let them have a chance to redeem themselves. If someone is still a threat to society and they don't show signs of changing, we obviously want to keep them contained. And I think the other thing I would say in my best case scenario is that we need to make it easy to be a good person, easy to follow your higher self and really hard to follow your primitive self and your lower self. And there are certain professions where it's the opposite. Like for instance, if you're in politics and I have friends who are good friends who are in politics, it's hard to not become corrupt if you've been working in politics for 20 plus years. It's really mm -hmm. hard because mm -hmm. the whole political system is about selling influence. Like yeah. you basically have some amount of influence and then the highest bidder, whether they're lobbyists or super PACs or whatever, they donate to your campaign so that they can have a chunk of your influence. And that's like all primitive mind thinking. It's like, what's good for me? What's going to allow me to succeed in my career so I can provide for my family and get the, the highest quality mate for, to pass on my genes? Yeah. Like even with, I think lawyers too have a little bit of that nefariousness just because the legal system works where you need to give the best defense possible, even if you know someone actually did, like your client actually did the crime. So it, it does sort of warp mm. a, a lawyer's like sense of. Yeah, at least like defense lawyers or, you know, people yeah. that are because there are, I know there are some lawyers that just won't work with. Well, also like you know. the legal systems, just if you have lots of money, you can essentially buy yourself get out of jail yeah. free card whereas if you yeah. can't so like the whole system also i think is really broken with the league with law um 
but other yeah. systems are much better. Yeah. Um, so I guess. Well, what I'm, do you think about education? It seems like education is also one that really lowers free will. If you're told exactly what you need to think. Um, yeah, our education system yeah. needs to be totally overhauled because it's we're still basically basically teaching people how to become like middle managers who are cogs in a corporate yeah. machine in like the 90s mm -hmm. where you're like writing memos and you don't have to think much for yourself you just you're really good at your one little task of like writing memos and sending it and like entering things into a spreadsheet but you don't mm -hmm. actually think high level of what needs right. to happen and so yeah i think education needs to change and yeah, I mean, I would just say that if we can get more towards that higher self mm -hmm. and move everything in the direction of what pursues truth and beauty as opposed to what pursues personal gain for any individual, that's going to allow us to really succeed and, and flourish in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are all good. And for mine... It's sort of the, the inverse of what we were saying with the, the worst case. So with, in terms of redemption, retribution, rehabilitation, I think in the best case, there are extremely good systems, whether that's through some sort of AI, through some sort of really strong you know, psychiatry, something along those lines to really get somebody to a place to where their thought patterns are freer, but also freer in the direction of morality. And kind of like I was saying earlier, like you can have a lot of free will, but if all, if all of your thought patterns lead to negative immoral things, you know, that it's not a good thing, but you could have a lot of free will where your thought patterns always lead to, or at least very reliably lead to, extremely moral behaviors and moral thoughts. And um, I think that if we have systems in place, like you said, to make being a good person easier, and just mm -hmm. really altering the environment, which is information, so that's like almost changing the incentive structures of companies. Maybe, maybe advertising in the far future is not like what we see today. Maybe it's something that, you know, I don't know how business would be promoted without advertising. I don't know what the alternative business structure or business model is. Well, for. I don't think, yeah, I mean, advertising can definitely be improved, but the key to me is if what you're stating is actually true in some real sense versus right. if it's manipulation. Yeah. So maybe, maybe advertising isn't the issue and maybe it's more, the the apps the the technology that really drive behavior so maybe that's more of like the youtubes and the netflixes that are driving behavior because they're really incentive incentivized to keep people engaged with the app and right. reliably engaged with the app and predictably engaged with the app and i think when that's the case we kind of are approaching a worst case. But in the best case, companies or the whole system, the whole world is kind of incentivized to get people to be more diverse in their thought 
to be more open to different things, maybe to learn a whole bunch of different topics and fields. Yeah. And I think when we do stuff like this and if, or if the, if society can, you know, be like this, then free will is maximized, but we also have a system where the free will that people have is maximized in a moral sense, right? So like there's more diversity of thought in a, yeah, I would say there should be diversity of what we think, but not yeah. in how we think. I think if everyone is taught the scientific method of thinking, yeah. then that's that's much better than everyone coming out with their own dogmatic way of looking at things. And I would say just to build on your point that if we can really help nourish the higher self when people are younger they're going to have much more freedom to achieve not only what they want, but what society wants, as opposed to if we nourish their primitive self. So for instance, mm -hmm. like if you're a little kid and you hear your parents yelling and you ask your mom, you know, why, why were you guys yelling? In one case, your mom could say, Oh, your dad's just an asshole. He only cares about himself. Like that, that statement will nourish your primitive self. But if instead mm -hmm. your mom says, you know, when two people love each other, you don't always have the same beliefs. And sometimes you get emotional, but it doesn't mean you love each other any less. And this is part of what it, you know, what it means to you mm -hmm. know, find a path that works for both your dad and me. Yeah. That nourishes, that statement nourishes your higher self. So the more we can do either on individual, family, societal, company level to nourish the higher self as opposed to the primitive self, the better everything will be. Okay. And does the higher self tie into free will in that it's like the choices that you can make are just, but well, actually I'm curious, does it yeah. tie in? Well, like... I mean, so the way that Tim Urban just defines it is your quote inner self is mm -hmm. your primitive self plus your higher self. And people have different, okay. different percentages. Like, one person like Alan Watts is probably like, not, I mean, he's dead now, but he was probably like 99% higher self, 1% or maybe like 5%. Yeah. Like he still liked drinking wine and having sex and that kind of thing. Yeah. But, and then someone else like Trump is like the opposite. He's like 95% primitive self, like 5% higher self. <laughs> and, okay, and so, so, so your true self is both. But I see. I think thinking of free will in this way of do you or don't you have free will is just not the right way of, of framing it. It's more like who right. you are emerges both with what your inner desires are as they arise from the undifferentiated void and okay. what the environments are that interact with you as an open system. And so that all emerges together, but I don't think you can think of it accurately in the way of you know, what is your, do you or don't you have free will? It just, it all is emerging in, in real time. Right. Okay. So that, that's sort of, um, a different way of saying, you know, your brain structure is your brain structure like more, but it's not just your brain structure. It's also the, everything outside your brain. It's the whole yeah. organism hyphen environment. Right. I guess the way I think about it is the, the brain structure it's a re it responds to your environment. It's kind of yeah. like the but is it just your brain structure? Because there's 
you do thinking in other parts of your body as well. Well, okay. You yeah, have like a magnetic your neurological field, you've structure. Got, yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's hard to say like, oh no, it's just what's in your brain and that's what determines free will. Like, I think that's yeah. inaccurate. Okay. Like it, I do, I do agree with that. So like maybe you it's have more neurons like your whole in your body. Stomach, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And nerves, nerve yeah. endings everywhere. Like all like, of these things are part of it. Right. And it's like, where does yourself end? Like Alan Watts talks about the bag of skin where most people think of themselves as just what's inside their skin. And mm -hmm. that's like the illusion of being totally separate from your environment. But if you actually looked at what was going on, there is you're mostly like empty space and you just have these molecules that are vibrating at very high speeds to make it seem like you have this physical um, you yeah. know, barrier between the outside world and the inner world. But you also emanate heat, you emanate a magnetic field. So yeah. it's kind of useful to think about yourself as separate. But in another sense, you and your organism are just one process that's arising and emerging at the mm -hmm. same time. Got it. Yeah, I think those are those are interesting. So maybe to wrap it up, what do you think of the likely scenario? Most likely scenario. My most likely scenario is that we will there is no free will in a particular sense, like the way that that it's such a hard thing to talk about. Yeah, I um, agree. So, and it's also hard when people seem to have different senses of what is meant by free will. But yeah, I, I mean, would, just you and I seem to have a slightly different interpretation right. of it. Yeah. But I would say the most likely scenario, just considering what the future. Well, first I'll say what I think free will actually mm -hmm. is, and I think what's most likely is that just the notion of free will may be misplaced and it's sort of like everything's emerging at once but as far as like your volition and your agency and how it's going to change in the future i do think for the majority of people they're going to have less volition and agency in the perhaps short to medium term as we make this transition where i think inequality is going to grow there are going to be some people who have godlike abilities to move bits and move people's thoughts and opinions whereas the majority of people will have far less ability and they'll be more of a cog in the machine but i also think that it's somewhat likely that in the far future we could have free volition and agency like never before like imagine if every person when you get to be 18 you have a decision of do you want to keep living in this base reality or do you want to go into your own simulation where you can literally be God or create whatever type of world you want with whatever ethical norms and, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, outer manifestations and like, or, or for instance, like far, far future, if we actually colonize the cosmos in some way or find wormholes, or it's like, we could each be the king of our own planet. And so yeah. I think when you go far future, our free will could like exponentially increase. But when we look at just based on past trends, how people's volition is going to be able to change in the coming years, I think it's going to be a major dichotomy between some people that have way more ability to impact reality mm -hmm. and others who are mostly just a minor cog in the machine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I'll make one additional point on a trend that I think we're seeing in both the West and the East, which is, so in the West, we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of people maybe on the far left that are really into censorship, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of movement towards that right now on college campuses, on a lot of, um, you know, highly liberal and supposedly open um, places. We're seeing the censorship of ideas just because it's, they're censoring ideas that are not what they agree with, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and then in places like China, we're seeing censorship for control. But I ultimately think that we're seeing this control and this censorship spread everywhere, not just in China. And it it's potentially something that could have a really huge short-term impact. I really don't think systems like this can last long-term. I think that there will always be, you know, some sort of revolution that strikes up and people are like, oh, shit, like this, this isn't right. I don't think we should be controlled this way. And then maybe at that point, free will, you know, if we're talking about free will, maybe it starts to take a dip a little bit as there's more and more control and censorship and like manipulation of thoughts and ideas or, you know, difference between the Overton window and your actual thoughts, mm -hmm. um, like you were saying earlier. And in the far future, like you said, I believe that we will rebound from whatever trends we're seeing now. I do think we're sort of still on a downslope in terms of censorship here in the West. But you also see places like Hong Kong that are resisting that. Mm, and I think yeah. eventually whatever happens, there will be a resistance to censorship and manipulation and control of thoughts and ideas and the you know, the limitation of free will. Um, so anyways, I think that's the, that's another thought, um, in the likely scenario, but my, my other likely scenario was pretty much what you said, like in the future, there's limitless possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do kind of need to get over this little or get through this valley and this dip of the loss of free will and right. freedom of thought. I'm in the yeah, and, and I would just recommend for listeners that you shouldn't think of free will as something that is so ingrained in you that you really need to beat yourself up about any mistake that you made because there, it is true what Sam says that you didn't pick any of your influences leading up to that moment, but you also shouldn't think of yourself as someone who's just a puppet and just let yourself mm -hmm. you know, live a life where your primitive urges take over and you eat poorly mm -hmm. you don't exercise and so I think just with anything it's helpful to take that middle path um, but at the same time I I think it's fantastic that Sam Harris wrote that book because it's good to be discussing these topics and he opened mm -hmm. up a conversation that's really important for us to be having especially given the changes in censorship and free speech that that you referred to mm -hmm. so maybe that's a good place to wrap it up those are great recommendations yeah Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, James, for recommending this topic. This has been the future of free will. And we'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future.
Hey futurists, if you've made it this far, you might be wondering who created the Hence the Future theme song. It was created by the Walden Brothers, and you can find them on Spotify. The Walden Brothers also produced the sound bites for the worst case, the best case, and the most likely future scenarios. At Hence the Future, we're always looking for ways to improve the quality of our episodes and our predictions. To that end, we're building a team of researchers to curate the most authoritative and highly vetted sources as the foundation for every episode. If you'd like to support these efforts, you can donate a small monthly amount at anchor.fm slash hence the future. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support.